Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Brandon Bruckman. Thanks for being on the show, Brandon. Uh, thanks, Whitney, for having me. It's good to be here. During the show, we're going to explore options for real estate investors in a 1031 exchange, how planning is critical for investors, and how syndicators can help attract 1031 exchange capital. I know this is a topic that comes up often. The 1031 exchange, I get questions from investors often, almost weekly. Is this possible? Can I do this? How do I initiate a 1031? Or just what is that? You know, Is that something I could benefit from? And Brandon's going to help us to better understand that today. And just so you know, even thinking about as an operator, being able to go out and find sellers who, who want to do a 1031... And that being able to bring a lot of capital to your deal. If you're syndicating deals, you are in the capital raising business. It's such a big part of our business in finding those investors and networking, communicating with them. And this is a great option to find another group of investors who can partner with you. But there's specific ways that that has to be done legally. And so they can get those tax benefits. And, and so we're all protected and all those things. But Brandon, welcome to the show. Grateful to have you on. Uh, this is a topic that I know the listeners are you know always wonder about and want to ensure just that they understand it so they know they're doing it correctly and you know and how we even get started so give us a little bit about your background about why you know you're the expert in, you know in 1031 exchanges and let's dive into how a syndicator can use this this model yeah so in terms of background a bit about me and the firm so our firm is called insight real estate partners and we've been off and doing this now for about two and a half years we spent three years prior to that, just researching it. Our background really comes from the investing side of the world. Probably myself, maybe 15, 20 years ago, I shunned real estate, as silly as that sounds. I spent six years working at a rather large hedge fund. And our focus was on public markets and on, on things that are happening in the world from a macro perspective. And I found that fascinating. And so I, I sort of pushed real estate aside. But fortunately for me, um, you know, I ran into my partner and his family has a deep background in real estate. And I've always had sort of this problem where operating real estate and what do we do when we're, frankly, we're getting a little bit older in the case of his family. And there are some health problems there as well. How do we think about stopping to operate, stop the operation of this real estate without paying that tax bill? Because the tax bill came to their family as quite a bit of surprise. And for some perspective, the tax bill we're sort of talking about is not only capital gains. I think that's the first thing that pops into people's heads. Like, oh man, I got a cap gains bill here. But you also have depreciation recapture and any state tax as well is in that equation. So in the particular example of my partner and his family, they were looking at a 40 plus percent tax bill that wow. they weren't expecting. So it's, it's sort of mind boggling to think about those numbers. And I think it leads investors to decisions they don't want to make. Either one, they don't sell and they're going to sit on this property till they die and get a step up in basis for their heirs. That's one way. Swap to you drop is sort of the terminology that you use, but you're always managing property. So the other way is I think investors make some maybe poor purchase decisions all in the effort to avoid that tax. So we like to take sort of a time out and have investors really start to think about what is it that I want to do? When do I want to do this? Planning is so critical before we even get into the exchange process. 
planning. You said it right there. Planning is so critical. Uh, you know, that we're asking about how to do a 1031 exchange and if it fits for me, like years before we actually need it, right? And meeting people just like yourself. So let's talk about the operator a little bit and how they can even, I guess, opening our minds a little bit as an operator, just that this is something we should be focusing on uh, and finding sellers, finding people who are needing a 1031, needing to do a 1031 or could benefit from that. Help us with that a little bit. You know, as the operator, it can seem a little overwhelming to think about adding something like that or trying to learn this process and finding these people. How should we do that? How do we even find those people? Yeah, I'll, I'll take you through a little bit of background, kind of how we, we got starting to think about, about syndication as an option. So we sort of rolled through this as a firm and thinking about an instrument called a Delaware Statutory Trust. And that's a mouthful. And I'll refer to it as DST as we go. That's a more typical option for investors that are looking to get passive and to get out. And that is by the SEC of financial security. So it fits well into our business. We're like, okay, this makes sense. As we started to work our way through that market, those products are designed for one type of investor in mind, designed for a very conservative type of investor. So immediately we had people coming to our door that were a little bit more, let's say, sophisticated or looking for a little bit different economics or a different scenario. And we sort of started talking to syndicators about this a little bit. And frankly, our initial conversations, we got a lot of, hey, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. The more that we dug into it and realized, yes, you can. So the structure that, that we've been helping folks utilize is referred to as tenant in common or tick. So the biggest thing, and I want syndicators to sort of think about the investor for a second. As they're coming out of a 1031 exchange, they have to maintain ownership of that property in the same entity that they're in. That is critical. So you cannot change entities when we're doing the 1031 exchange. I can't go from one LLC to another. I can't go from directly owning it to being a partner in a syndication. Can't do that. I have to be entity to entity. And the DST structure, like I mentioned, allows us to do that. But so does the tenant in a common structure. So I think that presents some different kind of challenges maybe for the syndicator. It's a different setup. You are, in essence, partnering with somebody. So a lot of initial phone calls we'll have with syndicator partners are, that investor and syndicator actually getting to know each other. Like, do I want to be in this property with this person? You may have the majority of equity there. You may be in control making the decisions as a syndicator, but you also have someone that you're partnered with on this transaction. So that that's a different element than I think the GPLP structure and the way to think about the way a syndicator could think about running their business is a bit different. But I think the upside as well, though, as we think about as Whitney, we mentioned before the calls, we roll into this election and people that are sitting on the fence and thinking about 1031 exchange, it might get a little bit scary for them staring at a policy that says, I'm going to eliminate that. So, I mean, we anticipate as a firm, potentially a lot of 1031 money flowing our way and into this space over the next 6, 8, 12 months. If certain things happen politically, we anticipate that coming here. So, it behooves the syndicator to kind of look at that and say, hey, this could be really interesting. On top of that, I think the most interesting relationships that we see here are folks that want to retire as the investor that have been in operators for 20 or 30 years. Syndicators and that investor, man, there is a personality fit there that's phenomenal. So in this, while all the financials are great and the economics are great and the capital coming is great, you also may find an awesome partner coming out of these deals. 
That's some great information right there. I wanted to go back a little bit to the the seller having to maintain ownership of that entity and that in that entity then is coming into our syndication really as that tenant in common. They're kind of this, uh, there's LP, there's GP, and then there's this this tick or tenant in common, you know, out here and they can have a big role, right? They can have a lot of say in what happens, things like that. And can you speak to just the what the syndicator should be thinking about when we're having that conversation with that seller and determining, I mean, like we're the operator here, right? We're still not going to call you about paint colors, most likely. Uh, you know, you're still passive in this deal and just how to structure that or or guide that conversation. So we're prepared for the future of that relationship. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think the syndicator should walk into that conversation with some very clear expectations of the way that they intend to run that property and how they intend to or not to involve that investor. That's absolutely critical. So we see these, I'll kind of take this to where we see things go bad. Things go bad when myself, my investor, who's my client and the syndicator get on the call and we don't have clear expectations coming into there, what people are going to do. So I think, I think the good thing that we add to the equation is we can sort of play that sort of mediator into that, into that transaction. So we'll get to know syndicators and understand how they operate and then present them to investors and say, hey, this is how they kind of work. And then we're sort of playing matchmaker, for lack of better terms, trying to find people that sort of fit that criteria, right? I think most syndicators should take that mindset that they're in charge. And they're running the property and you plan on doing what you plan on doing with that property and be very clear and direct about that. If we have a good match there, the investor will understand that and sign up to play in that game. If we don't, they won't. So it's having a clear set of expectations from the syndicator. It's your deal. So from my seat in representing my investor, I want you to come to initial meeting or call and say, here, here's what we do. Right. And that will help the investor make a decision about where they want to be. In other cases, and, and again, this will depend on the size of the capital, right? We'll see syndicators make some concessions and work with that potential investor. It's finding a good fit. And if you can find that good fit, I think there's always middle ground that you can find in some sort of deal structure. Great. Another factor I know we have dealt with and other companies as well, it's like, well, there's a big cost to this on our side also, uh, just getting that structure set up. It's many, many thousands more dollars, you know, on our, our side. And so, you know, I know many companies that do what we do just say, nope, we're not, you know, we're just not going to do it. And even their their CPA or their tax person has just said, no, it's too time consuming, right? I mean, there's just too much to it to make it worthwhile. So many companies just say, no, you know, we're just not open to it. While I've seen others say, if somebody's bringing a half a million dollars or a million dollars, you know, through a 1031 exchange, then we'll consider it. Can you speak to that? You know, just the cost side of it. When is it worthwhile? How much should somebody be bringing or, or even, you know, just to, to make it worthwhile for all the legwork that has to be done? Yeah, I'll spin that a little bit from the investor's point of view first. That's who we're spending the most time with and sort of what we tell people. I think that'll help. So if investors are coming to us with equity sizes less than a million dollars, we usually don't recommend this option. It becomes, however, a bigger part of fit with that investor than it does about the equity. So, I mean, investors can come to us with, with $10 million worth of equity, and this still may not be a good option for them. They need to understand what this is and how they need to participate. That's what the key point is. So, we'll spend time with them. So, for example, I'll give you a, I'll give you a real client example. A client we had who was just turned 50 and wanted to retire. He'd been running 
property for 25 years, right? He bought his first property when he was 19. So this is what he does. But he was done, right? A little younger than usual it comes to us, but hey, good for him. He is an operator. That is what he does. This made a ton of sense to go the syndication route. He understands it. It's very close to what he knows. It's almost exactly what he knows. Instead, he's allowing someone else to really run and manage that deal. That's a great fit. We'll have other folks, another real client example, that sold a business. There's real estate inside of that business. Totally 1031 exchange eligible. We'll go down that route. They have absolutely no idea how to invest in real estate. This is not a good fit. The business ticket was bigger than our real estate operator, right? So equity size is a factor here, I think, for us. But it is more about, about experience and how they come to that transaction. But to your point, it is definitely... It's more cumbersome to go this route, especially if a syndicate array has a business built GPLP. I have a structure, I'm running, I'm finding deals, I'm going. To stop and to do something a little bit different is more costly and time consuming to do that. That's an absolute consideration there. The investors though, on their side, have to be a good personality and experience fit to get inside of this sort of world. Can you speak to the operator a little bit and the investor? I think this will help both. But I was just thinking through when I have that conversation with with an investor and he says, you know, Whitney, we're going completely passive. We've had this portfolio. We're selling, you know, we just want out. It's time for me to retire, whatever the reasoning may be. Uh, we don't want to keep managing this, but, you know, we want to do a 1031 exchange. Can you speak to maybe a couple of details that we should know to tell that investor, you know, as an operator, just to educate them a little bit? And maybe include just the timing of selling that asset personally as that investor compared to when we need to invest in a syndication versus when that syndication closes. Does that matter? Some things like that. Yeah, that's that's a really good point because that is the trickiest part that we'll go through with investors and syndicators. We'll get to the point where we say, yes, I'm comfortable. Yes, I like this deal. And now it becomes a question of timing and the timing gets a little bit tricky. So let's talk about the 1031 exchange process first. So I think if you're having that exact conversation you mentioned with me with, with an investor as a syndicator, make sure that the investor understands the timeline and they built a team around this as well. CPA is a great person to have in this transaction. Real estate lawyer is a great person to have in this transaction. The investor wants to speak with these people before they even start to think about doing an exchange. Okay, so that's one. Once they want to execute the exchange, they have to work with their title company or another third-party entity called a qualified intermediary. They have to work with these people. They absolutely cannot take constructive receipt of the funds from the sale. They do that and this whole situation is done. That is mistake. That's cardinal sin number one. You cannot take constructive receipt of these assets. So the easiest way is to work with your title company. Most of them have qualified intermediary capabilities and they'll take constructive receipt of those funds. So that's, that's the first step for them. Once that closing hits, they have two big dates to think about. One, they have 45 days from that closing date to identify property, and they have 180 days from the closing date to close. So when you say identify, could that be like, does that need to be a deal that an operator say he has put out to invest in? Is that the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. So if the investor's walking through this process, so they can do this a couple of different ways. The way that we prefer people to do this is to be completely organized before they think about selling. They're able to sell and then immediately allocate. If they're able to do that, we don't need to worry a lot about the 1031 exchange timelines and rules. We've taken care of it. We've gone from one property or maybe a couple properties into the syndication and we're done. We don't need to concern ourselves with 1031 exchange. But 
if this timeline is going to spread out a little bit, as soon as you hit that 45 day mark, you have to document what you plan to invest in or ident- that's the identification. You have to fill out a document and submit that to a qualified intermediary. So let's imagine you're working on syndication. I have a great apartment building that, that you and your team have found. You're going to manage it. You're getting it under contract. It's going to happen in my 180 day timeline. But this 45 days is going to come first. I need to get the address of that property, my ownership percentage of that property, and how much real estate I will, how much fair market value real estate I will own. I need to get that on a sheet and submit it to the qualified intermediary. A good qualified intermediary will provide you with that documentation and guide you through what should be entered on that sheet. However, there are some that we work with where it's, hey, here's the paperwork. Good luck, guys. So that's where it's it's a really good idea to make sure that you have CPA, lawyer, or someone like myself to kind of quarterback you through that exchange could be very helpful. But the majority of QI should help you through that process. So that's the first mark is that 45 day. Nice. So, you know, I know we're running low on time, but I want you to have just a minute too, to anything else that you can help the operator better understand, or even, I mean, like myself. So when we're having those investor calls, maybe some commonly asked questions or even things that we don't even know to bring up during that conversation or that investor doesn't know to bring up that we should be aware of to bring up that maybe you and I haven't discussed already. I think we nailed a couple of these pieces that I think the operator should be thinking about. I think if, if syndicators, of course, syndicators are listening to this, I want them to open their minds just a little bit to the possibility of, of this structure and sort of going after 1031 exchange money. Like we said, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of it in the next six to 12 months in the marketplace in terms of capital. And I think there's some good partners here that syndicators would really enjoy, frankly, working with to be part of this. I think the couple of things we talked about to highlight, the biggest thing for for the way that syndicators can help is ask, hey, you're thinking about 1031 exchange. Have you built a team around that? Do you have your CPA on board? Do you have your lawyer on board so that they understand this process? Do you even understand how much tax you owe? We'll walk through this process with people and and the tax bill may not be as bad as we were talking about before. It might not be 40%, right? Or maybe an amount that that is okay that you can kind of tolerate or that you offset it with other tax things. The CPA is so critical. So that's a good, great question for the, the syndicator partner to ask. Investors, the questions they should be asking of syndicators, we really encourage our investors to start thinking about track record and to really understand that. And then to really understand, frankly, how that syndicator works, how do they operate? It's, it's critical. You're trusting someone else to run this investment and asset for you. Uh, you got to be comfortable with what they're doing. What's a way that you have recently improved your business, Brandon, that we can apply to ours as well? Oh boy, it's getting on podcasts like this. <laughs> one, using using the video. I think one thing that I've sort of taken seriously during this quarantine we have as a business is using and utilizing LinkedIn. And I can't sort of underestimate the power of that tool when operated and done correctly produces fabulous opportunities and ways to help. And it, it really has to be done in the, in the right manner. And it's providing value first on that platform, taking interest in other people first, making connections. Once you do that, I mean, opportunities fully left, right, and sideways. So I'd really encourage you know, folks to think about taking that tool very seriously. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I have to narrow it down to one, huh? I think my background holistically has been really helpful. And, and I sort of sit around and think about like, well, why didn't I get into real estate earlier? Like, why didn't I start doing this business earlier? It's so interesting and fun for me. And maybe this is the case for, for a lot of folks. I think, I think we walk through the experiences we're supposed to walk through. And we learn the things we're supposed to learn. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand 
some of these complicated offering documents if I didn't work at a hedge fund for six years. You know, I wouldn't understand how to present to high net worth investors if I didn't work in corporate America with CEOs and CFOs all the time. I wouldn't understand how to do those things if I didn't do that. So I think walking through the variety of experiences that I've had has sort of led me to this point. And I think that's critical. Even if you're in a spot like you're listening to this in a spot where you don't want to be at, find the value that you can give to other people and you can take out of that experience and then just kind of keep rolling forward. You'll find what you're supposed to be doing. How do you like to give back? Oh, in a couple of different ways. So formerly, I sit on the, the board of directors of a daytime homeless shelter called Repairs of the Breach. I'll plug the heck out of that on this call. The homeless situation that we have, I live here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Homeless situation we have here is real. And these people have absolutely nowhere to go during the daytime concerning the lockdown COVID situation. So the stress on the facility is high. The value that we're adding to these people is great. And so that's that's one way that I love to give back. Also very active in our church community here and trying to do everything we can to put as many people in those seats as possible, as COVID possible right now. Brandon, thank you so much for sharing that and giving back to the community in that way and just helping those people. And uh, uh, grateful and just for you sharing today about the 1031 exchange and how that relates to the syndication process. It's complicated. I, th- I think it seems uh, overly complicated to most people. So we just kind of stay away from it, right? And But it could be a, a very good source of, of capital for operators when we're not scared of it, especially when we know experts like yourself. So thank you for running through that today and just opening our, our mind a little bit to those options as an investor and, and uh, operator, as, as a syndicator. Uh, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Yeah, there's a couple different ways. One on LinkedIn, look me up there. I'm very active there. Email is brandon at insight1031.com. The website's insight1031.com. Go and check us out there. And yes, syndicators, I'd love to hear from you. Please shoot us a note. Tell us about yourself. This market's very fragmented from our, our perspective. And we'd just love to learn about as many syndicators as possible. They're doing great work. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.